You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. Joining me on the line this evening is Ferdy Kotzer, hospital manager of the newly opened MediClinic Midstream, and he'll be filling us in on this 570 million rand world-class facility. Dr. Alison Glass is a specialist virologist at Lancet Laboratories, and this evening we'll be chatting about HPV, or human papillomavirus, and cervical cancer. And joining me in studio this evening will be Melanie Holland, NGEN's Corporate Social Investment Coordinator in the Western Cape, and she'll be telling us about this year's Clever Kids Paraffin Safety Programme. And finally, nutritional consultant Vanessa Asensio will be on the line again, and she'll be giving us the latest on a new dairy alternative which has just been launched in South Africa, and it's called Almond Breeze. And just a reminder that there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. Just go to the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message there. But please remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. If you don't have access to Facebook, drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the list and then you can choose which of the documents you'd like to have. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Well, a few, few weeks ago, a 570 million rand world-class facility, the MediClinic Midstream, opened its doors in Centurion. With its ergonomic design and patient-centric approach to healthcare, this private hospital combines science with the needs of its patients. And joining me now is Ferdy Kotzen. He's the hospital manager of the new MediClinic Midstream. Ferdy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karin, and thank you for this opportunity to tell you about our hospital. Well, it must be quite an amazing job you have being manager of such an incredible institution. I was reading some of the statistics and what is there and what you've done with this building. It's it's quite different. Yeah, it's a, I must say it's a huge privilege to be part of this this uh, building and part of this hospital and the concept. Uh, we've we've spent a lot of energy and time and research on on developing this this hospital and designing the hospital over couple of years, so no, definitely a huge privilege for me and, and the management team of medical equipment team. So tell me this, what's in the hospital, sort of just practically speaking. We built the hospital and our focus was, was around the patient and patient care and the patient journey. So there's a lot of technology, a lot of uh, ICT, uh, the ICT infrastructure is, is really uh, a, a total converged network. Um, so we've we've Brought a new and fresh concept to the to the private healthcare market. Um, we constructed the hospital, uh, built on a foundation of technology, and, and focusing on our carbon footprint while doing so. Um, from the beginning, uh, from the from the start of the hospital to the final stages, we looked at our carbon footprint, and I must say we were very successful in. in doing that as well. I was reading, I mean, it's, it's quite different. I don't know of any other hospitals that have solar panels, rainwater stored in tanks for the use in the gardens. You've got heat pumps. You've got film on the windows to minimize heat gain. I mean, you've got all these kinds of things that have been put in right at the beginning. So it's not as if you're trying to do it after the fact, which I'm, I'm assuming makes it a whole lot easier to do. Definitely. Yeah, we were very privileged to, to start off in a, on, a, on, a, on a piece of barren land um, so it's a, a lot easier to do it um, uh, than, than implementing this in the current or existing facility. Um, but the focus on the on the carbon footprint and looking after the environment is was a, was a huge focus in medical itself. 
Um, as you said, we, we're looking at catching rainwater, solar panels to, to assist the, the water, the heating of the water through the, uh, the heat pumps. Um, natural light coming into the hospital, everybody's got a window. Um, the proximity of the, the, the departments and the nursing stations, uh, we, we look at everything. Are you almost going to be sort of the gold standard that other hospitals going to aspire to be like you? We, we definitely hope so. In medical, league, we've got a standards committee, or we, we built um, hospitals around standards. So when we look at the hospital and we, we, we designed the, the medical administering facility, this will be the, this will be the, the, the way going forward in, in all our hospitals. Obviously, the nation will, will have even uh, better facilities. And as far as laboratories and different sorts of theatres and different units that you, you've pretty much got everything there. It's a one-stop shop, basically. Yeah, definitely. We are a community-based hospital from emergency units right through to um, admission or discharge. We've got seven theatres, all equipped with laminar flow. We've got a, a, a catheterization laboratory, sorry, uh, electrophysiology laboratory. Um, so we focus on a little bit of super specialization as well. Um, the hospital itself is uh, the proximity of the emergency unit, radiology, ICU, CTICU, theater complex, surgical units, it's all in one level, pharmacy, etc. We've uh, installed a pneumatic system as well, older technology, but it works. It, it saves time. That's our focus, looking at saving time and uh, uh, taking the, the health care back to the, to the patient and, and not to the processes that we use in, in our hospitals. Uh, patients tend to wait because the, the hospital processes need to take place. So a lot of focus on the patient. We built the hospital around the patient, so the medication of the patient is next to the bedside. Um, the scripts go through to the pharmacy through a pneumatic system, medication back. Uh, all information, patient data, is, is stored in a vendor-neutral archive, um, so the doctors have got access in the hospital, consulting rooms, off-site through a web-based system. So focusing on patient care, that's the, the, the big focus, the, the value proposition, uh, cost over quality. So lower the cost, higher the, higher the quality, the, the better your value at the end the, of the day. The part I liked more well, personally was the fact that you, because of all your ICT and, and the whole streamlining effect of what you've done there, is the whole hospital admission process is a whole lot quicker now. Definitely, yeah. Um, in medical link itself, if you've been to one medical link hospital, we've got your details. Um, but in medical link medicine, we try to share um, demographic information not to duplicate um, the systems that we've got in the hospital. So the radiology, pathology, uh, everybody signed a service level agreement so we can share information between each other so the patient doesn't have to give the information umpteen time, times to get to the through to the different departments. The one thing that you have installed, you did mention some of the of the um, procedures and things were quite old, but they still worked well. And something I haven't seen for, I can't tell you how long, is a pneumatic tube system. Yeah. And yet you're using that, but it's, it's obviously working really well. But it's something I remember seeing back in, I'm giving my age away now, but seeing <laughs> back in the day. And now you, you're using that technology. Well, technology is not even really technology. It's old school stuff, but it really works. Definitely. I, I know we, we saw it in banks a couple of years, a lot of years ago. The, the pneumatic system is actually a very practical system. The, the doctor will, or the specialist will write a script. It will go into the pneumatic system immediately. So no more waiting for the doctor's rounds to be completed. It goes into the, 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 the pneumatic tube system. Within seconds, it's in the pharmacy. 
we've got dedicated pharmacists at the at the back, obviously hospital side of the uh, pharmacy, um, clinical pharmacists in the hospital as well. So medication gets packed and sent immediately back to the to the units or department. The same with the pathology, uh, blood results quicker, um, immediate. Uh, the, the blood samples get sent to the uh, laboratory immediately. So the results then will be shared on uh, HTML uh, web-based uh, platform. Uh, saving, saving time. So all the old things were not all that bad, you see. No, no. <laughs> and bed-wise, you've got was 176 beds, I think, and eight wards. So it's not an enormous hospital, but it's enough. Yeah, no, definitely, it's definitely enough. Uh, we know that there's always a demand for for private healthcare, and the demand will will be there. And the hospitals really uh, are doing very well, and the volumes are picking up. On a monthly basis, so it's a it's a family based hospital with all the basic um, and super specialized services, uh, cardiology, um, gastroenterology, etc., etc. So, yeah, no, it's like I said, it's a one stop shop, basically. Definitely, yeah. Well, Ferdy, it's, it's, it sounds like an amazing thing. And as I said, it's, it's almost become the gold standard now of which what other hospitals would aspire to be. And um, it sounds like it's, it's really going to be the start of good things when it comes to how hospitals should be designed. Yeah, well, we, definitely, we definitely believe that. Uh, a lot of work and a lot of uh, effort went into the design. Um, a lot of uh, hard work and, and, and technology and making sometimes just... just uh, Taking smaller steps and, and, and making it practical, looking at IPTV in our in our patient beds or, or rooms, um, you can share information, uh, any type of information. I mean, it's, the system is there. Um, it's a it's a total converged network. It means everything runs over the network from your CCTV cameras, your your parking, your patient information. Everything runs over the network. So. You, all devices and, and, and electronic equipment or uh, medical equipment that can be connected to the to the network gets connected to the network. So the doctors have got access to from from uh, treadmills to to uh, ECG machines to scopes and, and camera stacks. So all the information, all the images, everything's available on the VNA. So it's a, at a push of a button, you've you've got access to patient information. So this is definitely the the way that. Uh, we should we should go South uh, Africa. And when it comes to the patients, I mean, you're really spoiling them. They've each got their own television set, and they've got a safe electricity supply with a special plug to charge our mobile devices. I don't know anywhere else where you can do that in a hospital, each at each bed. So I mean, you're obviously realizing what people want, you know. So you've you've gone all out to make the ex- experience because you must be honest. I mean, people don't really want to go to hospital, so yeah. when they end up there, you know, you're making it a, as much of a good situation as it possibly can be. Yeah, definitely. We we focus on the practical side as well. Everybody comes to the hospital with a cell phone. Uh, well, most of the, the patients have got cell phones or laptops, so they plug it into a plug, two-point plug next to the bed. Uh, we lock the patient's valuables away in their own um, uh, cabinet or, or what do you call that? Uh, a safe. Uh, bedside locker mm. with their own uh, password or their own key. So it's it's practical, it's safe, it's modern. PlayStation points at the, at the bedside, at the bed, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we focus on everything. You almost make me want to go to hospital now. 
<laughs> I, really, I really don't, but you almost make me want to go to the hospital now. Wally, <laughs> yeah, you, you'll enjoy this time. You're really going to look after us very well. Ferdy, oh, Ferdy, thank you so much for joining me on the show and telling us a little bit more about the new hospital. Thank you very much indeed for your time. It's a huge pleasure and a huge uh, opportunity for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I was chatting there with Ferdy Kotzen. He's the hospital manager of the newly opened MediClinic Midstream. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. In South Africa, more than eight women die of cervical cancer daily, and only 13% of women have ever had pap smears. Cervical cancer is the number one ranked cancer in women aged 15 to 44 here in South Africa, and one of the leading causes of cancer-related deaths in women, yet it is largely preventable. HPV, or human papillomavirus, is best known for its close causal link with cervical cancer. And here's the shocker. HPV is not a gender-specific virus. It affects men and women, young and old. And to tell us more, I'm joined this evening by Dr. Alison Glass, a specialist virologist at Lancet Laboratories. Dr. Glass, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you for the invitation. Now, HPV, human papillomavirus, I have spoken about it on the show many times before, but it's something I think people need to hear because it's still one of those things that is, it's very much a woman's thing, but it isn't. Yes, I think, you know, women have always been made aware of it because we the ones that end up having to go for the pap smears um, to screen for cervical cancer, which is the cancer that's most closely linked to human papillomavirus. But HPV can also affect men in that men help to spread the infection. Uh, it's one of the virus, it's a virus that causes genital warts. Uh, it can also cause cancer in men and certainly our ENT surgeons are reporting higher rates of human papillomavirus associated cancer of the mouth and throat, and certainly Michael Douglas is a well-known celebrity mm. who had throat cancer related to HPV, and we see, are seeing an increase in those cancers locally, which of course can affect men just as much as women. Rather alarming that only 13% of women have ever had a pap smear. Yes, I think it, it is certainly alarming. I think part of it is a lack of education, um, a lack of access to adequate health care, um, in large sectors of our population, and then in those women who do have access, um, just a, a you know a, a willingness to go and have a pap smear because it's not a, not a nice pleasant experience for most of us. No, but it's it's an essential thing. I mean, if it's this yes. if it's this important to our health, it's yes. something that should be stressed really strongly. No, definitely, um, and I think there's a lot more awareness being raised about the necessity for um, cervical cancer screening. And I think also it's, it's, there are certain things that are happening which are making it easier for women. So one is the fact that now that we're screening for infection with human papillomavirus as our screening test for women who are at risk, if you don't have an infection with HPV, it means that you can screen less frequently than we used to advocate with the pap smear. And also there are um, self-sampling uh, uh, methods these days where women can uh, take a sample themselves for HPV testing, which means that they don't necessarily have to go to um, a doctor or a, a clinic sister for a pap smear. And some, for some women, um, that makes it more likely that they will access testing. How often should women be going for a pap smear? 
Um, so if they're doing HPV testing, so maybe just to differentiate what's the difference between an HPV test and a pap smear, both samples are taken in the same way in that we're actually sampling cells from the cervix or the opening to the womb. Uh, but with a pap smear, we're looking down a microscope to look at the cells to see if there are changes indicating that the woman might already be progressing towards cancer. Whereas with HPV testing, we're actually testing to see that she has the virus that can cause the cancer. Um, so the, the literature, the scientific literature now advocates actually testing for HPV as our primary way of identifying women who are at risk so that we can catch them before they go on to start developing the cancer and intervene before that happens. So if women do an HPV test, um, the recommendation is that uh, to do it at least every five years, whereas with a pap smear where we, we do the test where we look at the cells under the microscope, that we advocated doing every two to three years. So with the HPV test, women can go a little bit longer um, between testing, which, which is also a big plus. Would they not test for both at the same time? Um, the, there is, uh, the, the American guidelines used to recommend doing both, but those, uh, but many of the guidelines are now changing to say, do an HPV test first. If the HPV test is negative, it's not necessary to do the, the pap smear. Um, but if the HPV test comes up positive for one, one of the HPV types that can cause cervical cancer, um, then uh, we do we should do the pap smear as well to stage if the woman is already starting to get uh, cellular changes that may precede cancer because that will then direct the doctor as to what treatment is needed. So um, so the the HPV is more of a screening test with the pap smear then being a staging test. Um, the good news is if, if the sample is taken by a doctor or a, or a clinic sister. Um, we can usually do the HPV test and the pap smear on the same sample, so then it isn't necessary to uh, go for a second round of, of, of sampling. Um, the lab can do both tests on the same same test sample. Now, the thing about HPV, though, there's over 190, diff- that's 190, different strains of HPV, some of which are actually quite harmless. That's right. So there's only 1414 uh, types of HPV that have been associated with cancer of the cervix. And so the laboratory test that we do specifically focuses on testing for those 14 high-risk types. We're not really interested in the low-risk types that aren't associated with cancer because those are very common um, and they cause unnecessary distress in women if they hear that they've, they've got one of those, but it doesn't, those others don't necessarily cause any disease. And um, so we're really interested in the ones that, that cause um, uh, cancer. Now, it's interesting that HPV can be transmitted via skin-to-skin contact and not only via sexual contact. Um, well, so, so types of HPV that um, it give you different types of warts, for mm. example, HPV that causes warts on the hands or plant warts on the soles of the feet, those um, are, are not types that are associated with cancer, and those are also not types that infect the genital tract. So those can uh, spread by just skin-to-skin contact between people. Um, when it comes to genital infections uh, with HPV, and certainly infections of the cervix, um, those are 
sexually transmitted um, because they have to, uh, you have to have very close contact with someone who's shedding the virus and it needs to get into the mucosa lining, the vagina and the cervix. So those are sexually transmitted. But I think it's very important to emphasize because I think a lot of people sort of reluctant to discuss HPV and, cerv- and cervical cancer is that there's a perception that if I've got an HPV infection, people are going to think I'm promiscuous, I'm sleeping around. But HPV is, is, is very easily or very readily transmitted sexually, and you could get uh, an HPV infection even if you've only ever had one sexual partner. So it's not a, certainly not an indication of promiscuity, um, and it's something that is spread through intimate contact, and um, uh, you know there's there's a lot of sexual activity happening. That's what adults do, um, and and if you've had sex even with one sexual partner, it is an infection you may have picked up. It's very common um, it, uh, worldwide. Um, up to 80% of women will have an HPV infection at some time or other. Um, so I think we need to just get away from sort of the, uh, you know, the, the stigma around HPV infections and, and so that we get everybody talking a bit more about it. Now, the good news is that there's now a vaccine. Yes, there is a vaccine available. The vaccine has been available internationally for a number of years, but it's only in the last year that it's become available in the government sector here in South Africa. Um, there's two different types of vaccines. They both cover type 16 and 18, which is the most common, um, uh, the two most common causes of cancer. So more than 70% of cervical cancers are caused by type 16 and 18, and then the other 12 types make up the other 30%. So the vaccines concentrate on type 16 and 18 and have been shown to be effective in preventing infection with type 16 and 18. Um, and the good news is that uh, NSD is coming out with a new vaccine uh, which covers nine different types of HPV, which we're hoping will become available in South Africa next year, which will give even broader coverage against human papillomavirus infection. Now, this government program, they're actually administering this vaccine to grade four girls, I think in over 17,000 schools across the country. That's correct, yes. And I, I think it's quite a, a very exciting I- initiative. Um, it's a relatively expensive vaccine, so it could take some time for uh, government to make the decision to start um, vaccinating uh, girls. But uh, I think it's in a country with such a high prevalence of cervical cancer, it's a very important government initiative. And unfortunately, at this stage, boys will not be included in this uh, vaccination program. But parents can to have it done privately. I mean, you can, but as you said, it is quite expensive. Yes. That, that's right. So unfortunately, it does come down to a, um, a cost with benefit, you know, when the, when the government's deciding on how to spend um, uh, government funding, um, it, it, just, it, it is very expensive to, to vaccinate everybody. So vaccinating the girls is uh, the best um, uh, strategy if you can't vaccinate everyone. But certainly it is nice to be able to vaccinate boys because... Um, they, that does help to prevent them from spreading the virus to their sexual partners. Um, and also uh, the other advantage for having boys and um, men vaccinated is that one of the vaccines that does cover type 16 and 18 also covers uh, the two types that are associated with genital warts. So it's an added advantage to males being vaccinated is that they can protect themselves from genital warts.
Am I correct in thinking, Dr. Glass, that in some cases there are no signs or symptoms of HPV and so people unwittingly are passing it amongst themselves without knowing that they're doing it? Yes, that is the, the big problem and that's why it's so important to screen because uh, the, there's the types that cause the genital warts are not the types that cause the cancer. Um, so you could be infected with the type that causes the cancer and have absolutely no symptoms from that at all. Um, and uh, the only way we pick up uh, that you've got the infection and are at risk for possibly developing cancer is by screening for infection. And unfortunately, cervical cancer often presents very late. So early cancer doesn't have any symptoms. And the woman will only know that she has cervical cancer once she starts to um, bleed between her periods or postmenopausally or if she starts to have um, pain uh, uh, when having sex or after, after sexual intercourse. Um, and so often by the time women present with ca- uh, symptoms of the cancer, it's already quite far progressed. And often we're in a situation where we can only give palliative care Um, So the ideal is to to screen women so that we pick them up before they actually have developed the cancer. And it's one of the unique things about cervical cancer is it's one of the very few cancers where you can actually pick up the precancerous changes. You can pick up the woman with the specific risk factor for cancer, so the human papillomavirus infection, and you can actually do something about it before the cancer develops and completely prevent them from developing the cancer, um, which is just, once again, why it's so important that women go out and get themselves tested. Now, the one thing I've spoken about quite a lot on this program is male medical circumcision. Now, there has been some studies that have that proved that uncircumcised men are more at risk of contracting HPV than circumcised men, but being circumcised will not completely prevent an HPV infection either. And that's correct. So with most of our, our sexually transmitted infections, so HPV, but also importantly HIV, um, circumcision does reduce the, the man's risk of contracting the infections. Um, and uh, so it's certainly one part of uh, how a male can protect himself against these infections. But a male circumcision is definitely not 100%. Um, at best, it's about 60% for HIV. We don't have clear stats for HPV. Um, so we would still recommend that men um, always use a condom, um, but circumcision is one way in which they can provide themselves with additional protection. So what should we do, just as a sort of a final thought, what are, what are the things we should be doing to try and reduce our risk? Okay, so firstly, vaccination is is very important. So the vaccine is licensed over the age of of nine years old. So um, women should go get themselves vaccinated, um, uh, and uh, um, especially if they've had a recent HPV test and they know they don't have an HPV infection, um, certainly getting uh, an HPV vaccine would protect them against uh, future possible infections. So vaccination is the first thing. The second thing is to get yourself screened. Um, If you are sexually active, we recommend that if you're under the age of 25 to have a routine pap smear. Over the age of 25, we recommend HPV testing. If you haven't got an infection with HPV, you don't have the risk factor for cervical cancer and you can follow up then three to five years later with your next test and in the meantime, um, you can rest assured you're not at risk. 
if you do have an HPV infection, then you should see a gynecologist so that they can manage you further and look at what interventions are necessary in order to prevent you from developing, uh, potentially developing cancer from that infection. Um, and with effective screening, we should be able to reduce our rates of cervical cancer, definitely reduce our rates of death due to cervical cancer. Um, so now, that would be my message. Go out and get yourself screened. And what about the women who are slightly older than that? Is it too late for them to be vaccinated? Um, so certainly uh, there's no age limit on when they can get vaccinated. Um, as we age, our immune response to vaccines does deteriorate, so the earlier the better. Also, um, you know, if you're entering into a new relationship, that's, uh, you would you know, like to get yourself vaccinated before changing um, sexual partners, but there's no age limit to, to when you can get the vaccine, and certainly older women can consider getting the vaccine, especially if they are uh, planning on embarking on a new sexual relationship. Well, Dr. Glass, I think we've given our listeners a lot of information this evening, and hopefully they found it very useful, as I have. Thank you very much for your time. Great. Thanks so much. Dr. Alison Glass is a specialist virologist at Lancet Laboratories. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Engine Clever Kids is a national campaign that educates rural and township communities about safe handling and storage of paraffin. The program was launched in 2008 and it's grown rapidly over the years. So joining me in the studio this evening is Melanie Holland, Engine's Corporate Social Investment Coordinator in the Western Cape. Melanie, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Thank you for having me. So Clever Kids, as I mentioned, launched in 2008. And uh, how did this year's program go? It's getting bigger and bigger. It's growing, yes. Um, it launched in 2008 and it's um, continuing. And this year we started in the Western Cape on the 8th of June and we visited 20 schools in, in the Western Cape area covering areas such as Freyhorn, Tafelsich, Macassar, Kailitscher, Parkwood Estate, going to various schools and bringing the message of using paraffin and storing it safely in households. But the way you do it is fun for the children. Yes, it's via edutainment. We found it a perfect medium um, which entertains children, keeps them interacted with the five actors on stage. It's pre um, presented in the mode of a television quiz, so all the children actually participate. The whole school participates against Clever Kid, and so lots of um, scenarios get presented to the children and then questions get answered um, and they then up against Clever Kid himself so the school scores points and, and, and Clever Kid and in the end the school generally wins <laughs> and based on that the children get prizes that reinforces the message of using paraffin safely in their households. They get a funnel to take home to ensure that um, the parents know how to use paraffin in the household by pouring it safely from one container into whichever source they're using it for. The thing that always concerns me about paraffin is, is, it, is it still that bright, beautiful purple colour? No. That's, oh, they've changed the colour now. The, that is one of our main aims, is to educate children around the colour. The colour is, it's colourless, so it looks like water. 
or lemonade or, or lemonade something. Or yes, some form of soda. And what happens in households, it gets stored in bottles that look like a cool drink bottle. And therefore, children are prone to pick that up when they are thirsty. And so the whole thrust of our safety message is where to store it and how to store it safely. So children, we found that children between the ages of 7 and 13 are the most vulnerable at this point because they left in charge of their younger siblings after school and often have to either cook a meal or home the household and so we're educating them around the fact that it looks like water but it's not and so we're providing them with labels every year we progress and this year we've made actual labels that can go onto containers in households to ensure that they can know that that is paraffin in the bottle. Now, do you ever follow up and find out what they've gone home and told the parents? Because I'm sure that's what you hope your main aim is, go home and tell your parents what you've learned at school today. That's right, yes. We, what, we, what we do with our service provider is to ensure that there's a, a pre-test um, done amongst the schools that we go to. And, and they, uh, they take a sample and ask learners specific questions. And then after the production of edutainment at the schools, they go back eight weeks later and, and, and test not the same children, but the same ch- the children in the same grade or class to ask very specific questions about how they retain that information and what information has been fed back to, to their parents and siblings at home. And we found that the increase from pre-testing to post-testing increased by 50 percent wow. yeah so so the retaining them retaining the message that is brought to them at school really goes back into the communities in which they live it's a very important one because we've heard of so many horrendous accidents and i know just being living down here in the in the western cape red cross children's hospital i think has well they used to have loads of children and yes. probably still do have quite a number being admitted with poisoning from that's, paraffin. And that's one of the other messages that um, is key um, to the production is that children, we found in us working with Red Cross Children's Hospital, one of the main issues was ingestion because of it looking like something like water or a cool drink. Um, and so the message to children is that when someone ingests paraffin, they are not supposed to drink anything after that because... Old wives' tales, legends say that you have to drink milk or water and that's the worst thing that you can do. So the message is very clear. Nothing should be ingested. The child or person should not be made to vomit. The most important thing is to get the person to a medical facility as soon as possible. Not do anything but ensure that a, a doctor sees the patient as soon as possible. In my view, that would probably be the most difficult thing to change the most difficult mindset because I mean I've heard the story of the milk and the water and the and the parent is going to panic their child's just drunk this paraffin what do I do give it some milk yes you know it's, I think it's the first and, and that I think is going to be the, almost the most difficult message to get across yes. so what we've done is we've also provide school pro- provided learners with a reader or what we call a comic strip in the form of all the information with emergency number listings at the back and that then sends the message back home as well to the parents to look at and see that that is not the thing to do. The other issue that has been picked up is putting out paraffin fires. People think it's wise to use water. In the case of paraffin fires you should not use water. Sand is the only way to put out a paraffin fire so that is 
all the sketches within the edutainment program that gets delivered is brought to the children's attention in that way. It's a lot of information. A lot of information in 45 minutes, wow, but it's okay. <laughs> energetic, it's fast-paced, and I think the one thing, because children are actually interacting um, with the actors, the message is so much more interesting to them. And the feedback that we've received from schools and principals and educators has been phenomenal. They keep on asking us to come back. <laughs> Are you coming back next year? And, and our aim is really to spread the message as far as possible. So it's a national program for NGEN, um, ensuring that we go to all the provinces. And so for this year, for 2015, we're covering another 100 schools. So the, for the past few years, the target has been 100 schools per year and new schools every year. We'd love to go back to the schools that have asked us, mm. and, and we hope that we can continue and do that in the future. What, do you know what actually started the program? Was there some was it a, a corporate responsibility issue? Who came up with this idea? Wonderful idea. Yeah. And long, its time was due. Yes. Um, as a, a petroleum company in South Africa, it, it is our responsibility um, being the um, product steward for products such as um, paraffin safety. And um, we worked closely with the Paraffin so Safety Association of South Africa for many years, but felt that we needed to do our own um, work around educating um, and making communities aware about how to use our products safely. So we started um, quite a number of years ago with um, adults, and then as time and um, research showed we felt that the, the right target audience would be the younger children where we found that they were in the households making use of this product um, when they were alone. Do you have any feedback from any of the parents? Have you heard from the parents at all? We have heard from parents via schools where um, we've received letters from various schools saying thank you for the production, um, thank you for the funnels that were sent home, we're making use of it um, in, to ensure that we're not spilling the paraffin in, in our households um, when we use it. And, I mean, I was looking at some information that says that awareness has improved from 24% to 90%, and it's changed the behavior of more than 80% of participants. I mean, we'd love to be 100%, but 80% is a phenomenally high percentage. That is that is a great improvement. in, And because um, this particular subject matter forms part of the school curriculum in the form of the subject life orientation. So we work closely with the education department as well to ensure that the information delivered is in line with the curriculum and, and, and the feedback from all the education departments that we work with in all, all our provinces has been that it's such a relevant topic and so needed in especially rural communities where paraffin is used widely. It's incredible. I mean, obviously, as, as we've said, this is going from strength to strength every year and you're getting more and more schools involved. And you said we started in Cape Town in June. Is it still running at the moment? It's currently running. We are, we are on, a, on a break at the moment. Our actors are taking a bit of a break. Um, they start off again on the 31st of August in um, Pumalanga this time. They've just completed a, a run of the production in East London. And then after Pumalanga, they moved to Basana in bordering on the Eastern Cape KZN borders um, and, and we hope to finish that by the end of September. So you've still got quite a while to go. Yes. Yes. And come next year, there'll be another hopefully 100 schools involved. Definitely, or, or we hope more. 
<laughs> you're going to have to have a lot more more staff, a lot more clever kids going out there. That's right. We want to that. equip all the clever kids across South Africa. It's it's a wonderful program, and it's one of those things that when you think about it, it's a relatively simple program, but it is such an essential thing that you're doing. That's correct. You're saving yes. lives, basically. Yes, and we and we have a safety jingle, and that's that's the best thing is when visiting these schools is when you leave the schools after a production, you hear the children all <laughs> singing and dancing, <laughs> doing the safety jingle, and that that really then leaves a, a message with you, knowing that they're going to take that message home, and and, and it will resonate with them. Yeah, because you've got the right vehicle, the right way of getting it across is the fun part. The fun part. Because kids relate to fun. You know, if it's fun, they're going to remember it. Yes. That's what the educators have said. That's the best medium of teaching. Um, They could go through the the subject in class, but in the way that we present it to them, it really is remembered by all of them, no matter what their age. Have you been to some of these productions? Yes, um, I've been to most of them in the Western Cape. As CSI coordinators in each of our regional areas, we try to attend as many as we can. And, and it's really fantastic to be there and see the faces light up when they know the answers. So that's and, what I was going to ask involved. you. It must be a thrill to actually watch them doing this. Yes, it's marvellous. And, and they, they incorporate dancing. So it's really, it, it, it speaks to children. It's a wonderful program. I think I've, I've spoken about this before, but every year, as I said, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and better and better and better. And it's, I'm sure, as you said, the schools want you to come back, but you. Yes. And, and, and it's I a think, problem. Um, you know, we can only go from strength to strength. We try to leave something that reminds the children of the production. So besides um, each child getting a funnel and a pencil case from NGEN, they get um, a sticker to remind them about the production and then the paraffin label for for the household and schools are then also provided with posters um, which is essential for classrooms and then also the readers um, for each of the learners um, who participate so that the teachers can reinforce the message once we've left. So it's the same program that you do every year you haven't changed anything over the last seven years? We have we have changed um, some of the materials and information based on all the research and feedback that we get after each year that we so we're always trying to improve, changing the message, adjusting it to the target, target audience that um, we're taking it to. It's a wonderful thing. If I was you, I'd want to be doing this every week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish we could be. And going off there because it sounds like so much fun and watching those children and having so much fun and learning at the same time. It's, it's, it's really quite a privilege. That is, yes. It's, 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 a, it's a wonderful um, initiative and, and, and I'm just glad to be part of it. Well, congratulations. I think it is an amazing thing that you guys are doing and we are saving lives, as I said. That's what basically the bottom line. That and is. children are learning and it's fun. What more could it be? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's perfect. That is the main thing, is to save lives and to make that message come across about using something wisely. Well, thank you. Thank- Melanie, thank you so much for telling us about that. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Thank Brian. you for your time. Melanie Holland is NGEN's Corporate Social Investment Coordinator here in the Western Cape, and we were talking about the NGEN Clever Kids campaign. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Well, do you have dairy allergies or are you lactose intolerant or following a vegan diet? Well, if you are, listen up. There's a new product being launched this month, which could hopefully solve your problems when it comes to milk. 
Almond Breeze is an all-natural alternative to milk made from almonds. And to tell us more, I'm joined now by nutritional consultant, Vanessa Asensio. Vanessa, good evening. Welcome back to the show. You're becoming quite a regular. I know. Hi. Good evening, Karen. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you. This is rather exciting. Milk made from almonds. It is. It is. It's, um, you know, I've, I've been making um, almond milk for myself for quite a, a while, and a lot of my clients do as well. And there are a lot of people who, who prefer it as an alternative to dairy. Um, as we know, almonds are a superfood, lots and lots of good nutrients in it. Um, but as you said, there are people that are following a vegan lifestyle, vegetarian. Um, they, they actually say that about 75% of the world's population is lactose intolerant. Um, Asian people uh, are around 90%. So, you know, generally what happens after birth, we actually stop producing um, the enzyme lactase to digest milk. So many of us who, who suffer from, you know, congestion or sinus or eczema or skin allergies, often cow's milk um, is one of the things that you kind of look at um, and eliminate for a period of time to see if it does improve. But, of course, you know, almond milk is just a great addition to a healthy lifestyle too. So it's not necessarily just for people with problems. I believe it also contains no cholesterol. So that's good for people with heart disease or high cholesterol. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, you know, because it's plant-based, it doesn't have any cholesterol. So, you know, plant doesn't have a liver, so it doesn't produce cholesterol. So it is from, it is plant-based. Um, and it is, it's very healthy. It, it really tastes good. It's not like one of those things that you taste and think, oh no, you know, do I have to drink this? It actually tastes really, really good. Um, the versatility of the product is really amazing. So you can use it in anything like you do dairy. So, you know, in your coffee, in your smoothies, in your cereal, um, in baking, both sweet and savory. So you can just literally, you know, use it in, in across the board in anything. And the other thing that we talk about a lot, and it also ha- which is something that that's important when it comes to this, is that it has a low glycemic index, this famous GI that everybody's talking about. Yes, um, so it comes in two versions. It comes in the original um, that's got it's slightly sweetened and you get the unsweetened. And it's the only almond milk on the market that I know of that is, does contain, you know, has the unsweetened uh, version. So anyone following a low-sugar lifestyle, banting, paleo, um, you know, it's a perfect. But even the sweetened has actually got less sugar than full cream milk. So a lot of people don't know, but 100 mils of full cream milk has got about 4.6 grams of sugar. And the Almond Breeze originals only got 1.4. So even those people who do prefer the sweetened, it's very, very low in sugar. Um, so it is great that they, they do offer the two varieties. Now, people are always concerned if, you know, you're changing from milk to something like almond milk. What about all the things that you get from milk, like the calcium and the vitamins and the vitamin D and E and all that stuff? What about all that? So Almond Breeze does have, um, you know, the almond milk does have vitamin E. Um, almonds are naturally rich in vitamin E. Um, the calcium, you know, the, the almond breeze is fortified with calcium, so it does contain calcium. Um, it's not a replacement for dairy, so you wouldn't give it to, you know, a breastfeeding mom or even a child or, you know, toddlers or anything like that. So it's not here to replace dairy in any way, but it's definitely just an alternative for those wanting, you know, an alternative to dairy or soy or rice milk or whatever it is. Um, but it does have... Uh, adequate calcium. It does have vitamin E. Um, it's very, it's, it's un, completely natural uh, in terms of its ingredients. So, very little, uh, you know, uh, processing is involved. They use 
um, a specific process that they pasteurize the almonds with um, through a heating system um, that's quite unique. So I really, for me, I like the product because it doesn't contain any nasties. It hasn't got, you know, 20 different ingredients. The label is quite clear in terms of what it does have. It's a very clean product, um, and it's great tasting. And it, as we said, it is for people that, for basically people who are lactose intolerant, this is a wonderful new option for them as well. Absolutely, definitely. Simply because they can still enjoy, um, you know, all kinds of things that when we launched the product at the Good Food and Wine Show in Johannesburg, um, they've got a barrister blend, so you can make cappuccinos, and if you've got an espresso machine with a faucet, you can make milk, um, you know, make cappuccino. And there's people that haven't had something like that for like 20 years yes. because they, they can't consume dairy. So when they had it, they were like, they couldn't believe it. And I myself, I didn't drink uh, milk at all. I haven't since I was a baby. But when I tasted it, I was like, wow, this is really too good to be true. Um, so, you know, for those people who haven't had milk or haven't enjoyed a latte or a cappuccino, this is really, really a great uh, alternative. Also, lowering kilojoules in skim milk. So it's, it's really just a great addition to a healthy lifestyle. And what does it actually taste like? Does it taste like nuts? So for some people, they, they feel like it's, it's got quite a neutral taste. It doesn't taste like nuts at all. Um, it has quite a, it's almost like a, a creamy, very luxurious sort of consistency and texture, um, but definitely not, uh, it doesn't have an overpowering taste. So when you make a tea or a coffee, it definitely doesn't taste like nutty or uh, there's no aftertaste. It doesn't taste like marzipan. A lot of people ask, does it taste like marzipan or like almonds? Um, so it has a very, very neutral, um, very bland taste. But the the fact that you use it in different things like your smoothies and your coffee and your tea, um, you, you can make it really taste like anything. It's pretty much like milk. So there is, so you don't have to worry about it. Sort of, oh, I don't like nuts. And if people obviously people have nut allergies, they couldn't have this. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe most majority of people have peanut allergies, but um, obviously if, if you do have an almond uh, allergy, you can't have it, no. But almonds are sort of making a resurgence at the moment. I mean, every second person is eating almonds. I think it's all to do with banting and things, people eating lots and lots of almonds. Almonds are very good for us in general. Yes, you know, I think in, oh, the reason why people are doing it is they're moving away from sugar, and we're definitely moving away from processed foods. So we, we're paying a lot more attention to what we're putting in our bodies and our health. So we're looking for, as consumers, we're looking for good quality products. We're looking for, um, you know, ways to educate ourselves on good nutrition, going back to basics, eating foods that don't have labels and, you know, 20 different ingredients. So just moving back um, a little bit into quite a natural way of eating. So almonds definitely sort of tick all the boxes in terms of nutrient content. Um, they're loaded with antioxidants. They're filling. Um, a lot of people think, oh, no, they're full of fat, but it's all the good fats as long as you don't have the roasted, salted variety. Um, and for me, I've really found with my clients that start having a few uh, things like seeds and almonds and different nuts, they definitely, um, you know, lose weight. People think, you know, oh, no, it's like high, you know, a lot of calories and everything. But definitely keeps you fuller for longer, balances your blood sugar levels. So they've got a host of, of different benefits. The point is, as you mentioned, eating them in their natural state, not doing things to them. Yes. 
<laughs> a lot of us do prefer the salted, uh, you know, roasted varieties. They're definitely more, you can consume a lot more of them. But give yourself around, you know, a week of not eating birds and get onto just plain raw nuts and you'd, you'd love it. I keep mine in the freezer because uh, nuts can go rancid, but in the freezer they actually become quite crunchy. So I recommend that people keep their nuts in the freezer. Well, that's quite a nice tip. Because you can't, I mean, yes. you know, and also is it, is, is it a case of moderation with things like nuts? Yeah, some people do find that, you know, they'll eat a whole packet of nuts. But even if you do, don't, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but try and, you know, I'd say about 40 grams a day of uh, almonds is absolutely perfect. A lot of people recommend, you know, a lot of organizations would recommend you eat a handful of nuts a day for your heart. Um, but generally, 40 grams is okay. So Woody's actually sold 30 grams of nuts. I'm sure everyone's seen these little packets. Yes. Mm. So that's more or less a serving size, which is really small compared to, you know, a whole bag. Well, yes. The, 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 <laughs> always, yes, you can eat that. It's good for you, but it's in moderation. It's not going to be good for you if you've eaten out the entire store full of these things, you know, just, you know, in moderation. Yeah, we really do struggle with moderation yeah. in all aspects, you know. <laughs> we all want to try and get to that happy place, but it is it is difficult. But I think, you know, you can't go wrong eating um, whole natural food. So, uh, you know, if you start off eating too many of those and then, you know, sort of cut down a little bit, it's a lot better than eating a little bit of a lot of bad things, you know. Absolutely. So this Almond Breeze, it's available now, this milk, it's not a replacement, actually, it's just a, another option. Yes, it's another option. I think, you know, in, I'm a lot in this industry, and I find that as consumers, we're definitely looking for new products, um, healthier alternatives, we're looking for more variety, um, there's just been this huge explosion with, you know, gluten-free um, banting. There's a lot of um, sort of nutritional uh, focus at the moment amongst people, and they are reading international sites. So we are, in, you know, international products are definitely in demand. And Almond Breeze is actually the world's number one uh, selling almond milk. Um, so it is very much, you know, in, in just about every site you do come across Almond Breeze. There's definitely a demand for these kind of products, and it's exciting because we are, as South Africans, you know, being able to access these kind of products. What's well, great, a nice new low-fat, low-calorie, lactose-free alternative to dairy. Vanessa, thank you once again very much indeed for your time this evening. Thanks, Kyle. It's speaking to you. Have a good one. You too. Good night. Vanessa Asensio is a nutritional consultant, and for more information, you can take a look at the website. It's almondbreeze.co.za. The SABC has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that's fair, and programming that is not harmful, does not amount to hate speech or violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the BCCSA. P.O. Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. That's the BCCSA, P.O. Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. Send a fax to 011-326-3198 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za.
For more information, please visit bccsa.co.za. You're listening to Health Matters with Karen Key, getting you one step closer to a clean bill of health. Well, that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Time to Travel. And if you've been following Graham Howe's travels through America, he'll be back for the last time of his second chunk of the Kentucky trip will be on tomorrow, so join me for that. And don't forget, there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. If you'd like any of those, take a look at the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM, or drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za. Well, it's time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Coker. Hello, Stephen. 